Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, exposing the brutality of the Iranian regime with a man who's lost three of his brothers to it. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome, everyone, to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, and very good to have you aboard this program. We are going to do things a little bit differently today. Typically on holidays, we break with tradition and do a bit of a different show than we normally do. Today, I want to spotlight a story that is not one you're hearing in the mainstream media, but is nonetheless an important one that I think has a message that freedom-loving people in Canada, in the United States, and around the world need to hear. Last week, in fact, on Friday, there was a display put on at the Washington, D.C. Capitol building by the Organization of Iranian-American Communities, a photo exhibition honoring victims of the Iranian regime, a photo exhibition that was documenting systemic human rights violations, abuse, torture, and executions at the hands of the Iranian regime going back decades. And one person who knows this struggle all too well is Glenn Torshizi. He now lives in the United States, but his three brothers, his only three brothers, were killed at the hands of the Iranian regime going back to the 1980s. Glenn Torshizi was one of the speakers at this exhibition on Friday and joins me on the line now. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. Really good to speak with you. Sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my story. I mentioned in the introduction just the, the horrors at the hands of the Iranian regime going back decades, and you more than anyone else know these not on an abstract level, but on a very personal level with the experiences that you've had with your family. And I mentioned just very briefly that you had lost your brothers, but you spoke at this event on Friday. Why is it that you're speaking out? What is the story that you can really bring to the table that illuminates the horrors of this regime? What I can tell that the story of Iranian regime treating its citizen the way it treated my brother is still going on. I lost three brothers during the 1980s. My younger brother, Behruz, he was executed for taking pictures, according to the officials. My other brother, Bahman, was killed during a confrontation, they say. We don't know. And my other brother, Reza, he was sentenced to seven years in prison. And after seven years is over, my father goes and asks for his release. And they say, no, we cannot release him because he has not repented yet. And my father asked my brother, why don't you repent and go to your brother, me, in United States? And he said this horrific story that that is not easy. They have divided the prisoner in two camps. One camp repent and one camp do not repent. And they are asking people who do not repent, uh, who do repent, to kill those who do not repent. And I cannot do that. But they say my brother, he has a false ID with him. And for that reason, they sentenced him to seven years in prison. And now they want to make a criminal out of him. And that was something that my brother could not do. And one day they called my dad to come and get him. And my poor dad, he thought that they are going to release him. We could not believe that they do such a thing to kill 
an innocent person just for not repenting and killing others, you know. Your first brother to be killed at the hands of the regime, Beirouz, that was in 1981. And then, of course, you lost another brother, uh, Bahman, in 1982. And in 1988, your final brother, I believe, Reza. Why was your family still criticizing or, or pushing back against the regime with this loss? Because that's not a level of courage that a lot of people could imagine in these circumstances. Because the same thing is still is going on. I hear that a wrestling champion right now, they have uh, sentenced him uh, to death. And two brothers, are uh, they have sentenced to long-term prison. And my brother Reza, he was a swimming champion in Iran. And I can identify with that mother. They told that mother two years ago, don't talk about it and everything is going to be okay. No, nothing is going to be okay. We need to talk. We need to speak out. We need to work communities to know that you, are, you cannot deal with these criminals. You cannot negotiate with these criminals. These are people whose hands is soaked with blood. And how can you treat them as normal state persons? You know, these are criminals and the uh, place for criminals are in jail, not to be in power in Iran. Do you have family still in Iran? Yes, I do. And my mother, he is back and forth with me and goes back to Iran. Do you know what? This is something that not many people can understand. My mother, he needs to be close to his sons in Iran, even if they are dead. My question, I guess, was coming from a place of, is there a risk that you and your family experience by you speaking out against the regime in the way that you do? It is always a risk. The regime's hands is not only in Iran. They have killed so many people around the world. And uh, two years ago, I was in an event in Paris. And the regime, this time, they sent one of their diplomats to that event. And I was with my son. And you can imagine what would happen. I lose my dear son in that event. And they are killing. The killing machine has not stopped. The regime has two things in hands to stay in power. Killing Iranian people inside and pushing terrorism outside. And I cannot understand why the Western government, like the previous one, Obama regime, they sit down and negotiate with these people and give them plain load of cash. This is not acceptable at all, you know. You know, a moment ago when you mentioned the possibility that you could have lost your son in Paris, and that was, I presume, the Free Iran Conference, where uh, this is, again, a notable threat that has traced back to the Iranian regime, and you tear up talking about that possibility. So I guess I'm still trying to understand, for people that don't have this connection to Iran, how do you justify in your mind still fighting and still advocating when there is a risk to you? Because you live in the United States right now, you have a family, you have a career. A lot of people would wash their hands of this and say, this is no longer my fight. Why is it still your fight? Because there is no day I cannot 
think about my brothers. This is Reza. This is Bahman. And this is Behruz. How can I forget? Some people, they say, forget it. They have destroyed me. They have destroyed my family. And still there are so many families that are being destroyed. This is the thing that it stopped. It's the same question like when fascism was in power in Germany. People should fight. This regime has two characteristics. And this is uh, the support that we get is bipartisan. Last time I was in an event and Rudy Giuliani, uh, the ex-mayor of New York, he talked about the mafia nature of this regime because he has dealt with the mafia. He knows what the nature of mafia is. And he said, we cannot deal with mafia. You cannot uh, negotiate with mafia. You need to fight mafia. And another person, Patrick Kennedy, he talked about the fascism part of the uh, regime because his uncle was killed uh, fighting fascism. He said, I cannot sit here in Washington or in U.S. and watch this fascist, what they are doing to Iranian people. That's the reason that we need this regime go. And we need the world community to understand that you cannot negotiate with these people. These are do not belong to 20th century. Iran is a good country. Iranian people are nice people. We can have normal relationship with everybody. Our passport is worth nothing. You cannot travel with your Iranian passport anywhere because of the government. Why? That's the reason I want a better Iran for uh, my people. We have suffered. I don't want others to suffer the way we have suffered. That's the reason I keep fighting. And the thing about it is many the regime says, if we go, there is no alternative. Nobody can do better than us. No, there is a viable alternative. We have National Council of Resistance of Iran, and we have a president-elect, Maryam Rajabi, and these people are much, much better alternative than the present regime. And the fight with the Iranian regime is not just the political. It is a fight of religion at all. There are two interpretations of Islam. One interpretation of Islam is the reactionary Islam that those people advocate. And another interpretation of Islam is the modern Islam that Mujahideen Khalq are promoting. And in this interpretation, everybody is equal, regardless of their religion. They are very tolerant. They have a consistency with the modern world. But those people, they want to overtake the whole world. Their plan is the Islamic world government, and they are not shy about it. They have written this in their constitution. If you study the Islamic Republic constitution, they say that the duty of our forces is not only to protect the Iranian border, but to spread the Islam all over the world by force. And that's the reason you see them in Iraq, you see them in Lebanon, you see them in uh, Yemen, you see them in Afghanistan, and they are spending billions of dollars of Iranian money to give to their so-called uh, soldiers to fight their fight. And this is not acceptable at all for us. 
You raised an important point there, actually, I think, because when the Giuliani comment that we need to treat them like the mafia or the Patrick Kennedy comment that we need to treat them like the fascists is accepted, we can look at those things and say that with the mafia, law-abiding citizens uh, combine and unite and defeat the mafia. With fascism, freedom-loving countries around the world unite and defeat it. You just pointed out something that everyone needs to know, that Iran is not just content to focus on Iran. They want to expand and uh, conquer in many cases, yet the global community is not always aligned in combating Iran. In fact, in, even in your and my countries, the United States and Canada, you have a lot of politicians that want to appease Iran rather than calling a, a spade a spade. So what's the message to them? Because those people, when they say that, oh, well, you know, we can just, you know, give Iran some money and just shake hands with them and say that they're going to disarm nuclear uh, weapons capabilities and all of that, they aren't thinking of your brothers. The message is that it's simple. They are coming eventually to bite you. You know, those Iranian people, the politicians, they are very shrewd. They have a big smile and they pro portray that, oh, everything is going to be okay. This is the opposition. They are just talking. We are not that bad. And they have hired. They have access to billions of dollars of Iranian money, and they spend millions of dollars of those money to buy uh, to people who lobby for them. We have a, a strong lobby group in Washington that these people are highly educated in Western countries, and they go and talk to the politicians, and they say, no, everything the opposition is saying is right, and the regime is not that bad, and everything. Unfortunately, uh, Many people, money talks, I guess, uh, get uh, persuaded uh, that uh, maybe they have an argument. But uh, the thing about it is I'm a physicist, okay? And I know Iran is on top of the sea of natural gas and oil. We don't need nuclear power. And all the major countries like Japan, Germany, they have realized that nuclear power is not good. They are going back to renewable energy like solar. I was visiting Canada. I was surprised that in Canada, there are a lot of solar panels on top of the roof. And Canada, comparing to the sun, is not getting the 100% of the sun's energy because of the way it's situated. Iran is directly in front of the sun. And we have a lot of land that they can use solar panel to generate and even export electricity. The money that they spend to build the bomb and they uh, lie about it and they say, no, 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 we don't want to build the bomb. We want to have the uh, nu peaceful nuclear energy. No, I don't buy that. They are lying. And then uh, the Western government, they say, okay, let's go and negotiate with them in uh, JPO, I don't know the rest of it, uh, and uh, have a treaty with them to inspect uh, what they are doing. No, the, the minister came and said that we had two kinds of tube. One we showed to the Western and the other one we kept it uh, to build our uh, bomb, basically. 
So that's the reason I say that this is danger and is uh, the Western government, the politician, unfortunately, they think uh, some of them for the next two years, some of them the next four years, and they don't see the long term what is going to happen. But uh, uh, the Iranian people are suffering every day. And they are spreading this terrorism to the uh, Western countries. And that's the reason this uh, and we are not, the Iranian people are not asking uh, the Western countries to come and fight for us. The only thing that we are asking, not to negotiate with the regime, not to support the regime, not to trade with the regime, and the rest of it, the Iranian people will take care of it. And we have the alternative in place, that the minute that they go, the alternative will come and take over, and we are going to have good relations with our neighbors, good relations in the Middle East good relation with the Western world. Why they don't see this? And of course, uh, I'm glad that you are talking to me and the world is uh, getting around. And many uh, Western uh, um, politicians are coming uh, to the table. Uh, last year, for example, the majority of the House in the United States uh, uh, pass a resolution condemning the Iranian regime. So these are uh, hopeful signs. And I'm hoping uh, even what uh, President Trump did, uh, uh, maximum pressure is biting the regime. And these are the steps that we ask the Western world, Western uh, politician to take. Just let the Iranian people take care of this regime, but not helping them. They help the regime by sending plain load of cash. I cannot understand why do you send plain load of cash to this regime? And what that cash was not used for Iranian people. The cash went to outside. Uh, they want to have a path to the Mediterranean. I don't yeah, know Yeah, and that's, why. I think, the very important point here is that there's a, a huge divide always between what the Iranian regime tells the world it wants to do and how it actually ends up acting with its people. And, and this is, I think, a great example of that. I do have to ask you, because your brothers were not soldiers in any conventional sense. They weren't going to war with the regime on a battlefield. One was a photographer, one was a documentary filmmaker, for example. But even so, you have called them martyrs and freedom fighters. And I was wondering if you could explain that. The reason is my younger brother, he was taking pictures for opposition group, MEK. They had a, a, a daily newspaper, 500,000 people, they would buy this newspaper and they would give it to other people. Millions of people could read those articles, could see those pictures. My uh, younger brother actually he was a photographer for the paper and the reason that they killed him to silence the opposition to silence the truth to not let the truth come out and my other brother he was making documentary it's the same thing because the regime was saying everything is good and he takes his camera and make a documentary no not everything is good and look at this look at this uh, situation in tehran look at this place People are suffering, and they don't want the truth to come out. And their number one enemies are people with cameras, people with uh, uh, knowledge to make documentary. And there are a lot of reporters are in uh, Iranian jail. They close a lot of newspaper. Every day they close a newspaper. 
people they go and open up another newspaper, they close it again. They close it again. And there are uh, two or three official newspapers are left. And it's important to note that this was the early 1980s. It was a lot more difficult to be a a photographer, to have an audience than it is today in the age of the internet. So this was something that at the time was not something that everyone could do. Exactly. And... uh, those days, if you uh, remember, the cameras are bulky and they could see it. Nowadays, of course, it's smaller. Uh, and that was the reason they told my father. My father could not believe it. He says, taking pictures is a crime to, by execution. He could not understand it. You know, I understand why they do that. Because these people are cold-hearted, ruthless. And they don't want the truth to come out. And they live in a fantasy world. You know, they want to, uh, 20th century to conquer the world. For what? For what reasons? Everybody be Muslim like we tell them to be. Why? People can study if they like it, they believe it. If they don't like it, they do something else. We are human. We need to have a human-to-human relationship. Why do you want to put everybody in your, under your guidance to take them to God? No, God can take care of itself. These people, they are charlatans. These people just, I, I, I cannot understand, to be honest with you, what is in their mind. But I can see what they are doing. And this is something that we want the world to see what they are doing, you know. So despite the tragedy to your family, you believe there was a meaning to these deaths? Of course, of course. Uh, When I saw my brother's picture in the lawn in front of the Congress of the United States, in front of the Washington Monument. And many people come to me and they say that they inspired us. So there is something to it, you know? They, and the thing about it is my brothers, they wrote their will. And in their will, they explain what kind of uh, uh, society they want. They said that they want that He said, in our belief of Islam, there is no distinction between Jew, Christian, Zoroastrian, people who do not believe in nothing. We are all Iranian. We should live in peace and harmony in Iran. This is a quite different interpretation of Islam because they say that in Islam, there is a verse in Quran, it says, La ikraha fiddin. There is no force Put, uh, pushing your belief on other people. You can advocate your belief, but you cannot push it. But those people are doing the opposite. They do not advocate their belief. They push it. For example, uh, People's Mojahedin of Organization of Iran, Mrs. Maryam Rajavi, she herself has hijab, but she's not forcing this on other people. They say that this is a freedom of how you want to wear, you know, and this is completely opposite to uh, what the other people are advocating. I remember 
uh, one time I was walking on the street of Tehran with my wife, and some of these uh, revolutionary guard they came and separated us, and they were questioning me, why do you let your wife to wear clothes like this? And my wife, my poor wife, she was a young uh, girl, young woman, and what she had, she had a colorful uh, shirt on. I said, I cannot tell her what to wear. This is not my, to say she is a human being. You need to respect her as a human being. Ask herself why she chose that dress. It's, and she said, no, no, you should tell your wife not to do that. These are people like this, you know, many people, they cannot understand. You just laughed, you know, what kind of craziness this is that they question me for what my wife is wearing, you know. And unfortunately, these things is going on. And uh, but uh, Mrs. Rajavi says, whatever they want to wear, if you go to MEK meetings, you see that a miniature of the Iranian society in those meetings. We have people of uh, all kinds of religious belief, Zoroastrian, Jew, Christian, uh, non-believers. We have people from court, lore, uh, Gilak, all kinds of uh, different ethnicities that they live in Iran. We have people from all walks of life, uh, highly educated, doctors, engineers, and ordinary people. This is what we want, a, a, an organization that represents everybody. And the reason that they can represent of everybody because they believe in freedom. Freedom for uh, MEK is not something just in word, it's in deed. They have proven after so many years that they are not lying about it, you know? In practice, they have showed it. So that's the reason I appreciate this group that they are still fighting. And I'm happy to help them, you know. So I'm hoping that the end is near. This regime cannot go on like this. And if the Western government, they do not trade with them, they do not give them money, the money that they have is not their money, it's the Iranian people's money. And if you sign a contract for 25 years with them, this is betraying the Iranian people, you know. Uh, and that's all we are asking, you know. And I think that that goal for freedom is something that all in Iran and all around the world should embrace. So I thank you very much for speaking out about your story. And, and obviously, I thank your brothers for taking a stand, even though it had a tragic end. As you said, there's a, a meaning and a purpose to that. Glenn Torshizi, thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for taking the time and listening to me. Thank you. Wow. I mean, a moving story. And as I said to, at some point in the interview, Glenn's story is not just about politics. It's about his life and that of his family. So I, I thank him very much for sharing that. That does it for me. I want to thank all of you for listening and also Glenn Torshizi for coming on the program. We'll talk to you in a couple of days with another episode of The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.